I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today's guest is an award-winning host that is truly an icon in the gaming industry. Frankie Ward is one of the most popular presenters in terms of reporting, interviewing, and hosting esports events. Esports here are all of the sports championships that are based around video games. She has an experienced career history in media where she uh, worked, for example, as a producer for 10 years. She was a radio host. And then after producing the coverage of the BBC in the 2015 League of Legends quarterfinals, she decided that she wanted to be in that space of esports and follow that path. Frankie has a very bubbly personality. She comes across as truly excited about what she's talking about and also knowledgeable of games. And so on top of her success in hosting esports events, she also is very, very successful on YouTube, on Twitch, on Instagram, and responding to fan demands and answering questions and She also hosts a very popular podcast called My Life in Pixels, in which she discusses her life both inside and outside of esports. Some of you may know that uh, even though I appear to be like a happiness guy and a podcast host and a business executive and a startup CEO or whatever, I'm a very, very serious gamer. And uh, although I don't actually participate in e-sporting events, I could probably say that I may have a chance if I did play professionally, at least so I think. If you're a gamer and you've been shot yesterday somewhere in in a live event in one game or another, that might have been me. And even though that's the case, I may not be talking a lot with Frankie today about gaming and about esports. Of course, I'll try to give you a little bit of an overview if you're not a gamer or you're not into esports. But I think what fascinates me about Frankie is how she, as a young woman, could find her place in such a male-dominated, mostly, industry in a way that is so true to herself and her personality. And in doing so, she could actually find what she calls her dream job, the thing that fits her most, if you want. And I think this topic about how a woman can find her path and dream, as you may know, is a topic that is very, very dear to me. And I think Frankie is a great example of that. So I hope you enjoy our conversation today with Frankie Ward. I have to say, I am surprised that you didn't explain the EBIT. So the the EBIT for everyone (laughs) listening is that it's actually not in, there is no physical exercise happening. Your, Your engagement with that amazing world is through a controller. 
That is true, yes. I, I remit that part because I live and breathe gaming, so I don't even think about the electronic part of it. I just think about exactly. what makes a game, what makes a competitive game into an esports title. And for me, and I know other people disagree with this definition, what makes it esports is when you actually add structure. But yeah, of course, it's esports because it is a video game, an electronic format, but with sporting principles to it, i.e. a tournament. Okay, so people who are listening who are not real gamers, what are you doing with your life? But people who are listening who are not real gamers, how can playing a video game be a sport? Are we not supposed to sweat during playing sports? Well, the easiest way to talk about that is to look at chess and to look at snooker. They're considered to be sports. So when it comes to sports, yes, there's a fitness element in terms of most of the sports that we see. But then there's also a strategical element. There is a team element. Even if you are playing a one versus one game, you'd normally have a coach or an analyst or a manager or an organization behind you. So you would still consider yourself to be part of a team. Now, it depends on the game. But if you're looking at a game such as a Counter-Strike Global Offensive which is, or CSGO, which is a game that I tend to do the most, you have a team of five and they have a strategy. So their job is to either plant a bomb and make sure it goes off or eliminate the team that would stop them from doing that or would defuse the bomb once it's down. And then, of course, the other side, you've got the team that wants to stop the other team planting the bomb and the team that's going to defuse that. Now, there are so many things that come into play here, which is the strategy between the teams, how are they going to approach that task. There is the environment, so we call these maps. There are several different maps in the competitive map pool that teams can choose. Then there is the individual skill side of things, so the mechanical ability, how players aim, how they react, how they even move around the map can affect their performance and are a part of the fundamentals of playing Counter-Strike. So you have all these things that come into play. There's there's a lot more to it as well, but, <laughs> but, but I think that's the easiest things to start with. Those are all things that you would probably think about when you're also in sport. So when you're playing chess, you're thinking about the moves ahead. You're thinking about what your opponent is is planning to do you're thinking about the way that you're moving across that board and you're also playing to a time you're normally playing to a clock with chess right in counter-strike you have to plant that bomb within two minutes if you're diffusing if you're defending then you need to diffuse it within i think it's 40 seconds so there's so much at play there in terms of timing strategy and individual skill and it's no different in sports it's just that in sports instead of using a keyboard on a mouse or a controller you're using your body or you're using, say, archery, you're using a bow, or you're using a snooker cue. I know you as the presenter. Are you a player as well? Are you a gamer? Well, I'm talking to you now um, at a setup with three screens and a very uh, high-powered gaming rig. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, so I have an Xbox downstairs. Um, Xbox I tend to use... X, I saw that, yes. <laughs> yes, so I tend to use my console for like when I want to like relax and play something like Assassin's Creed or something that I'd have to think about and I don't broadcast to, to people on the internet on Twitch but with my computer that's where I play competitive games I'm not very good I play and I know what I'm watching um, when people are playing it way better than me and earning you know a million dollars for it but I am not great at the games partly because I didn't start with PC gaming early enough in terms of competitive games. I'd always played games on a PC. I just didn't have anyone to play them with when I was like 16 kind of thing. So I came into like multiplayer competitive gaming relatively late compared to other people in my industry. 
but yeah, I will definitely play games. It helps me be better at my job. I enjoy them and I understand them. Um, mostly I'm playing Counter-Strike and I was play, I'm was i learning to play a game called Dota 2, which is incredibly different to Counter-Strike. And it's very complicated. And yet I've got a few of my friends into it and it's really rewarding and it's really fun. And it's also incredibly frustrating, but that is the life <laughs> of a PC gamer. PC gamers are routinely frustrated. We're not casual in the sense that a console player can be. Not all, I don't want that to sound like it's an insult. I think console gaming is a lot more relaxed wider market whereas with pc gaming you spend a lot of money and your equipment is like buying a car and then like taking it to the garage every year and having an mot you're upgrading your graphics cards you want to overclock your cpu so you're like your intel chip to, to get more performance you can do things to make it run better and therefore make your games run better you you've got so much available at your fingertips it costs money unfortunately so there is a barrier to entry in a sense but the possibilities with pc gaming are just like endless uh so it's, it does become an addiction once you kind of get into it oh my god so i have to comment openly on the idea of when you want to relax you play assassin's creed like that's that's such a statement because uh, for those people who don't know assassin's creed there's quite a significant amount of blood involved but yeah no but hold, <laughs> hold on <laughs> so there are many topics actually I, that i would love to to talk to you about from that one sentence that you just said i think the first of which is how do we how do we have every woman on earth do this because i think the world would be a much better place if there was no no divide i mean we we need more women gamers we just need more women gamers in the world the reality is that there are not as many isn't that true i actually don't think that's true i have to say i think it's true in the competitive space that there aren't as many women or there aren't as many women putting themselves forward because when you're playing team games online and you're trying to get better often you don't necessarily have people to play with and so you're what we call solo queuing so you get teamed up with random people and unfortunately there are people out there in those spaces who will be very negative towards women so, yeah. so yeah. you can be uh when you're playing a multiplayer game so i'm going to come back to counter-strike multiple times or i'll call it cs as well so when you're playing cs and you're on a map you're giving information to your teammates it's a communication again another sporting skill communication we have something called call outs so there are different positions of the map that you have little shorthand names for so for example the easiest way is to divide the map into lanes so you might see an enemy in mid lane or uh, or you might see them on a bomb site that they're on the b site by default which is like where people tend to plant the bomb so you might issue that communication and then someone in your team will tell you in much stronger language to shut up and suddenly then the the comments come and and it can be really difficult so the way to kind of get around that is to find people you trust to play with and that can sometimes take some time but in terms of things like xbox playstation nintendo switch as well as pc gaming as well but not necessarily there are definitely amazing women playing counter-strike it's just that they're not necessarily as visible and also we often see marketing in games marketed towards men so therefore boys think oh it's only us who play video games but actually it's just that women aren't as visible to be playing them i know assassin's creed is hugely popular with women so so popular with women like i see women on forums and online talking about it you know women play a lot more than just the sims although the sims is very fun and has its place but that's what we get kind of stereotyped as that we just play 
these games that are kind of legacy titles from the 90s that keep being you know updated and things like that but actually it's so much more than that it's just that it's very hard to be present and to make yourself known in the space if there are going to be people existing already in that space who feel free to shut the door on you but it doesn't mean that women aren't playing these games and actually there are a lot of women obviously playing games on their phones who could be I don't know if replenish your audience is the right term. That's very kind of Radio 4 looking for their young listeners who are going to become 60-year-olds and have them on in the kitchen one day. But, but you know, we are seeing women in gaming becoming more visible and, and, and increasing. We're seeing more female protagonists. We're seeing uh, much more ethnic, uh, ethnically diverse casts as well in video games too. And that really, really helps because then the people that play those games that aren't white men can come out and say oh, I love playing this game because I saw myself in it. And maybe people didn't even know that they were playing that game. And suddenly, because they see themselves in the game, they come out and say, hey, this was my favorite gaming experience so far because I saw myself in it. And I think it goes both ways, right? So having that representation makes people feel more like they have a voice to come forward and say that they they are part of this space too. So I can relate to this very, very, very openly. My, my daughter is, is a very serious gamer. I'm, by the way, legendary and in some ways, <laughs> by the way. I, and actually, I, I take your comment very seriously because you were so talking about starting at a certain age and this was a bit late and so on. I gamed all my life, but I got only very, very serious about it at age 45. And I can promise you I can kick some butt. Like, I'm very, very what high. What do you play? I actually play like an athlete somehow, so I had to focus. I, I ended up focusing entirely on Halo. Oh, amazing, cool. If you've been in the arena yesterday, I must have kicked your butt. Uh, I mean, it is, <laughs> and it's quite something because, like you said, I mean, I'm supposed to be a happiness guy and, you know, a happiness teacher and a respected CEO of a tech startup. So my gaming name is never going to be shared. But, you know, you'll never know it's me that just kicked you. So, but I think the trick here is you're absolutely right. My daughter, Aya, who is very good at what she does, she's really, really a serious gamer either will sometimes struggle because her teammates will sort of go like, ah, a girl just joined, we're going to lose that game, even though she's better than all of them. Or sometimes she just doesn't mention that she's a, a girl and eventually everyone gets so surprised that she's so good at what she does, right? But it's definitely one more of those preconceptions that we have in our head that are absolutely crap when you really think about it, that, you know, there is something that a woman shouldn't be part of. And I, when I say I think we need more women gamers, it's because I believe that the industry would be, it should open up a lot more. You're, you're absolutely right. Sometimes the, the industry is just so focused on marketing to us. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. I think when I am enormously visible in gaming because I'm hosting esports, so often there are only there may be a handful of women or even just one woman or maybe no women at all on the lineup. And so I do feel like it's quite important sometimes for me to be there and to be the, do the best job possible because other women are going to be judged by the performance I do. But then there are Absolutely. other girls and women in the audience who see that I'm there. And that for me is the most important thing is to be like, right, okay, well, you can be part of this space too. And so therefore sometimes I am quite outspoken when people are negative towards me existing or other women existing because I'm not going to like take a step back and just be like yeah it's fine for you to talk to me and other women like this no it's not and I'm paid to be part of this space so I'm legitimately part of this space and you're not making any money from making horrible content like horrible comments about me but I'm just doing my job so I'm going to keep doing my job <laughs> that's not going to stop me from doing it but when I was younger I I 
I didn't realize there was a space for me in gaming. I have been playing games since I was, ever since I can remember. I genuinely don't know how old I was the first time I played a video game, maybe like five, four or five. I don't actually remember, but it was always a solo player experience. And it was only when I was 26, I think I was maybe 27, when I discovered what Twitch was. And then I realized, and I discovered what esports was. And I realized, oh, this is a way for me to be in gaming was to to be a producer because that's what I was at the time. And then I ended up going into hosting as well. But because I've had that attitude and because I've known what it's like to feel like I'm on the outside and not belong, I have always had a focus on trying to bring more people in, more voices in and also you know, and now I'm in, it's also just looking at other people who want to come in and just seeing how, if there's any way I can help with that as well. So you never expected this to be your life, right? It's like when you were younger and people told you, so what do you want to do when you grow up? You never really said, I'm going to be in esports and I'm going to be a presenter, right? No, no. I wanted to be an Egyptologist when I was about Seriously? Eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was really into Greek myths. And then I learned about Egypt at school when I was about seven or eight I think I was eight and I got really into it made myself a paper mache <laughs> doing Kami Mars <laughs> and I, I loved it I didn't get to go to the British Museum and see the Rosetta Stone and obviously their collection of uh, sarcophagi and, and mummies until I was I think I was 22 and I had an afternoon off work and I went to the British Museum and it was just I remember the Rosetta Stone was just surrounded by people with cameras and I suddenly felt so disappointed but also deprived because why couldn't I have been taken to this museum before smartphones were invented <laughs> but yeah so that was like when I was eight. Did you know a tiny bit of trivia there which I actually really was upset about did you know that there is 280,000 artifacts from the Egyptian years in the UK? That's insane i did not know that i mean i yeah. i think the most like there are things in the british museum i do believe we shouldn't have <laughs> obviously elgin marbles <laughs> exactly. being one of them yeah i yeah. do think it's insane that um, we have a museum of other people's history that's very weird to me <laughs> so I, I got this from a few friends i'm originally egyptian and i got this from a few friends ah. about the number of artifacts from ancient egypt that are outside in the outside world and it's um I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's an international crime, to be honest, to take uh, some country's culture and take it all the way to a, another place. But at the top of the list, winning the award was the United Kingdom at 280,000 items. Can you believe that? And I was telling this to one of my friends who is a very, very successful artist. And she said, yeah, I even have one of those little old beetles as my necklace. And I was like, holy God, you know, it's like, what happened to my country? Anyway, going back. So you wanted to be an Egyptologist? Yes. I, I, I was also interested in acting as well. I was obsessed with music when I was younger. So I think one point crossed my mind being a radio DJ. I actually did become a radio presenter for a little bit of time, but I didn't really, I wasn't set on anything. There was also a potential ambition to be an opera singer when I was a teenager. I went to uni to study theatre at Birmingham, University of Birmingham, with a view to doing postgrad in opera, potentially. But um, didn't realise I qualified for free singing lessons and couldn't afford them. <laughs> so so I kind of I, I kind of stopped with that, started writing stuff instead. And then I discovered the radio station and that love of radio that I always had then became something I could potentially do. So I ended up actually working at a radio station before I graduated and afterwards as well. So that was really good because I learned a lot in terms of, mostly in terms of producing. And I also spent a lot of time writing and then this was like 2008 when I was at uni. So I was 
blogging and meeting people. I wrote for a website called Created of Birmingham and another music reviews website as well, a local one. So I was constantly around sort of traveling around Birmingham on my own with like a MacBook which had a camera in it and I just turn it on my interview subjects and I just interview them that way so I was always doing something always been busy weren't I a few years ago I found one of my paper diaries from that time and it was just full (laughs) it was so full of all these things I needed to do and it made me very very organized and I'm very grateful for that time in a way because I got started quite early with in terms of like assistant producing and things like that so by the time I ended up coming back to London after I left this radio station I worked for in Newcastle, I was very kind of ready to absorb more things. So that has now stood me in good stead with gaming because I have to learn games very quickly and learn the most important players in the scene and learn about teams and and just kind of understand what the most important things are, are about a game because I do I cover quite a lot of games in esports. So... So yeah, I kind of ended up somewhere that feels very, very natural to me, even though I've been hosting full time for about three years now, just over three years. But it just feels like the most natural thing in the world, which is really nice. Which I think is amazing. So when I watched some of your interviews and, you know, before we met today, you seem to be like the happiest person in the world with what you (laughs) just absolutely love it. And hearing you right now, it seemed that you maybe in a way stumbled upon it. It's like you never really expected that to be, but somehow along the path from being a radio presenter to, you know, being a producer to, you know, working for the BBC or whatever for a while. And and suddenly you go like, oh, esports, right? This is it. And I think most people don't realize that. I mean, did you actually really just stumble upon it? With esports, yeah, it was because it was a project at work and we had uh, League of Legends, which is, Really, I'd say it's the world's biggest, most established esport, and they were doing a quarterfinals of their world championships at Wembley. So in 2015, they <laughs> they did a tour yeah. each weekend of the playoffs around Europe. And so I think the finals are in Germany. I can't remember quite rightly, unfortunately. Sorry, everyone. But the quarterfinals are at Wembley. And so I was covering that. I bought a website for it and was working with some of the commentators who were known for the game and also sort of backstage at Wembley saw someone who's now my friend, Ashox, who is the most established presenter and host in, in esports backstage. I remember walking past with my friend who was working on the broadcast I was doing, a presenter called Julia Hardy, and she was like, oh, that's that shock. She's like really respected, knows the game, like plays the game, like knows everything inside out about the game. And I just remember seeing her just being like, oh, wow, cool. (laughs) Um, But the thing is, I loved interviewing and I I put myself on camera interviewing comedians and I I had sort of a music podcast when I left the radio station I used to work for and I'd done various bits and pieces. I tried pitching to people around like BBC Three and stuff in the office about doing something to do with gaming after that project. And like, No one was interested in me as a presenter. No one was interested in me for that. They couldn't see it. I wasn't like a starry person to them. I was this person who was really, really good at knowing a content management system. And I knew loads of different departments in the BBC. I was very good at kind of networking and trying to bring like commissioners into in and and press and just like trying to connect all these people together when I was building websites and trying to promote shows and things like that. I was always trying to find ways to make the job more interesting for the people and then the team that I managed at one point and, and things like that. So I had to leave to do what I do now. But even when I went to Twitch, 
there was one person who doesn't work there anymore who really didn't want me to be on stage or anything. And I was only on stage when I couldn't afford enough hosts or the show was like eight to 12 hours and I had two hosts. I couldn't put them on stage for that entire time. So sometimes I would pop up and I was just naturally took to it. So I think one of the reasons it took me a long time to do what I'm doing now is because I was so worried about what other people thought of me and that they thought I wouldn't be as committed to my current, like the job I was doing at the time, the producing job I was doing at the time, if I was also doing something on the side as well. So yeah, I had this constant kind of battle for the the couple of years before I actually started doing my job over what people thought and what it said about me. And I still kind of, Actually, no, I don't have that so much anymore because I know I'm good at my job. And my job is to tell other people's stories. I'm doing a lot of talking about myself right now. But my job when I'm when I'm paid to do it is not to talk about myself. It's to it's to inform an audience. It's to communicate with players and get them to open up and get them to feel comfortable to tell their stories or to tell us what happened in the game, the micro and the macro and of of what their story is while they're on site, you know. And yeah. I think people can see that. So it makes it much more okay to do what I'm doing, I think. <laughs> I think gamer to gamer, I think you're born for it. Like the way you speak about it, the passion you have for it, the, it seems to be one of those moments where fate meets the right person. It's like, okay, where has she been? This should be the one that Kemsan talks about. Counter-Strike or whatever, that's the one. Like, yeah, book that one, put her on stage, you know, make <laughs> the shows long. It seems right to me. But I don't think everyone gets to achieve those dreams. So openly, Frankie, if you were to tell young women, young men about a path to finding the job of your dreams, what do you think you've done right? You must have done something right. That's a good question. Oh, God. Well, I think one of the main things was not, burning bridges and always being open and I was really lucky I love that thank you when when I was younger and I was in Birmingham and I was going to all these gigs and stuff people spotted that I was there a lot and then they wanted to know who I was because they were there for a purpose they were there to review gigs and things so they're like why is this girl at these really random bands in like in the academy three like the small 60 person capacity venue not the academy one where you know the big bands are playing like why is this girl like watching a load of local bands like three nights a week and so people spotted that I was wanted to be there and then when they actually spoke to me I was enthusiastic and then they wanted to give me opportunities and so I took those opportunities but I also made sure that I did what I was doing really well to the best of my abilities and so if I moved onwards I could always go back to those people and they could also come back to me as well so I think that's been really important and it's so funny like seeing people that I sort of met a decade ago come back into like my life in some ways and things like that so I think it's quite a small world it turns out and so yeah just having that integrity and making sure that you are enjoying what you're doing because if you're not then maybe you should look elsewhere and and find the thing that you want to do. But I mean, I started hosting full time when I was 29 because my job at Twitch, I really enjoyed the people like I really enjoyed the job. I love the people I worked with. Um, I made good impressions on production teams and, and I had a good reputation by the time I did leave and, and they made people redundant. So I had my safety net removed. Right. But I emailed some of those people that I knew and I never would have done this while I actually worked for Twitch. But because I had a good relationship with them, when I left, I emailed and said, 
I've now left Twitch. However, this is what I want to do next. So here is what I'm like on stage. And if you've got any jobs you think, or any roles coming up soon you think I'd be good for, give me a shout. And then I got booked for shows <laughs> like quite quickly. <laughs> quite quickly. Um, but I also set myself a goal. So I was made redundant in... But it was like bank holiday weekend, just it was basically the day before Good Friday in 2018. And so I had to leave the office straight away. I already started sending emails to some contacts I had, called my dad, got my moaning out the system, uh, just like <laughs> about, about leaving, you know, because it was a hard moment, of course, it wasn't easy. And then I went and hosted the last episode of show I'd been doing for like some cable TV station called The Jinx every Thursday night. So I'd go to the office, do my job, and then I'd literally go to the studio get my makeup done, rehearse, and then do a two-hour show, which was great. It gave me live experience. So the timing worked out really well. <laughs> so it was a weird, really weird day. But I said to my partner, like, I've got savings. I was very fortunate. I just sold a flat I had shared ownership on, so I had some savings. He was like, if you can't pay me rent for a little bit, then that's okay as well. And I said, okay, I'll give myself two and a half months to see if I can get the work, to see if I can make headway in this industry. And my little target was to to see what I could do in the two and a half months before an event called Gamescom. And I said, if I get asked to work at Gamescom, which it's the biggest gaming expo in the world, and it has a lot of stages, whether that's esports or developers, like publisher stages and things like that. So I said, okay, that's my target. And yeah, to be honest, within about a month, I knew <laughs> that I was going to be okay. Yeah, I had about a month of not doing too much, just prepping. And then I hit the ground running and sort of from May until the end of the year, I was so busy. I did so many different games and I went, I went around the world talking about video games and it was crazy, but it was also amazing because I was so like <laughs> wide eyed and I really appreciated every single opportunity I had and every opportunity was a blessing. And, and if I didn't get a job and like in esports, it's not like you're really doing screen tests or anything like that. So you don't really know if you've not got something unless you're part of a regular circuit. Um, and you're expecting to be hired. So it was a, just an amazing like, whirlwind experience. And I always paid my rent. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. But I had the second safety net, right? I had to have my Twitch in-house job, safety net taken away to realize I could go freelance. But I also had to have that financial security. And I think that's another reason why I always worked really steadily. And I was like, oh, my contract's coming to an end here. I must go to the next thing. So sometimes I did end up, like once or twice, I ended up in jobs I didn't like very much because I was so like, I need to earn money so I can continue renting and living in London. I need to, I need to find the next thing. Whereas if I like stopped for a moment, maybe actually I could have stayed in the jobs I was happy in longer. But yeah, I was very much about survival. That is so interesting. I don't know if you realize the number of gold nuggets that you dropped in that long paragraph. So let me just say something on your comment around not burning bridges. I surprisingly, so I'm writing about stress in general, and I'm talking, the chapter I'm writing now is about stress in the work environment. And one of the things that uh, definitely causes stress in the work environment is the idea of trust. The fact that you, you know, sometimes you work with people or circumstances that you don't fully trust. And I was talking about how I worked through my entire corporate career on that item only, that this was my number one priority, the element of trust. 
And you may notice it now in your early 30s, but I promise you when you reach my age, it's in incredible how not burning bridges becomes the absolute biggest asset you have. Because, you know, the people that I created trust relationships with when I was in my 20s and 30s are now CEOs, CFOs, um, prime ministers. They really have also grown and achieved things in life. And they always look back and say, oh, this guy, I trust this guy. If this guy tells me something, I'm going to do business with them. And I think this really, really is an incredible tip and advice. I also totally admire your tip and advice of work doesn't always have to be a dream. Sometimes you do things for another step of the way. So, you know, I need some savings. I need a safety net. I need to have a bit of a financial independence in order to do the things that I dream of. And I think people sometimes sort of, I don't want to call it entitlement, but I think people sometimes wish that work is always amazing and it's the dream and you're, you know, working in an NGO that is ending world hunger and not necessarily the case. You know, sometimes you do things as stepping stones to get to other things. But I will say though, it's that bubbliness. It's like you are just so in love with what you do. And I'm almost certain that you were also in love with what you do when you were writing that report for BBC, right? I mean, you somehow seem to be like, all right, opportunity, I love it. I'm just going to jump on it and do something amazing with it. Am I guessing wrong here? I mean, am I reading you wrong? Yeah, I think I can find things to love in everything. So <laughs> my last day on the BBC, I was working at a place called Didcot Parkway Heritage Railway Station on a show called Trainspotting Live. So I, in a few weeks, I basically learned all about what an intercity 125 is, a class 66, like which is the diesel engine you see pulling like haulage on a railway line kind of thing. <laughs> like I learned <laughs> banana trains. I learned so much. And, you know, that's not necessarily something that's going to benefit me necessarily in the future with jobs and things like that. But I threw myself in the head first because I think that people respond to you better and they tell you more. So you learn more, you gain from that. And then you can also enjoy when you're like working antisocial hours and doing a live blog for BBC4 on this show with no Wi-Fi, like no proper Wi-Fi from a 1950s rail carriage on site, uh, <laughs> you can just still, you find the joy in it. And that's the most important thing is to find the joy. And sometimes, sometimes it's a lot harder. Like the show I just did was, I had two weeks in isolation and the first 10 or so days were fine actually. And I was in a different hotel room with a outside balcony space and I had a little kitchenette. So I, even though it wasn't my home space, I was sort of able to make the most of that space and had space to kind of with a yoga mat. And I caught up with some friends and spent a weekend playing video games, which I have not done in such a long time. It's insane. And so, in fact, I don't know if I've ever had a sort of social weekend like two, with featuring two days where I got to just game with like friends for like several hours nonstop. I don't know if I've ever had that. So I kind of made the most of that opportunity. And then I had to move into a hotel room with no real natural light, a window that didn't open and just was grim for like four, four days. Oh, and that was suddenly a lot harder. It was it was harder unfair. to find the joy in that. <laughs> but I had to do it to do the job. But oh I was so, when you know what you've got something to look forward to, it's easier. So, but in those four days, I sort of read some rules and was like, I'm not going to get to actually talk to any of the players that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing in this hotel bubble environment because we're not allowed to really associate with them. So I'll maybe see a few of them at the interview wall and stuff like that. But then there was an outside balcony space by my interview wall where sometimes players went to vape or have some fresh air and things like that. So actually I did get to catch up with people a lot more. And also I got to see 
people in production that I hadn't seen for a really long time. And so suddenly the things that I've been worried about, that I wasn't going to see anyone and I was going to be on my own for another two weeks. <laughs> that all went out the window, especially when you're working 15 hour days. Um, suddenly it was just like, it wasn't the experience I was expecting, but I got other things out of it. And I got to work with a couple of people on that location because the other broadcast talents, so the other people who, on camera, they were in a different location to me. They were in, a, in Poland and we were, I was based in Cologne, Germany. But I got to work with different people in production that I hadn't worked with before and some amazing women, I have to say. And so I got to enjoy that production for other things, which was nice. Again, it's, it's finding the things that make you happy about a situation that kind of keeps you going. So I look back on the last month now, especially also seeing the audience reaction to it and just go, oh, everything was totally worth it. It was hard. It was really, really hard at times. <laughs> like when you, you're working from 8.45 until midnight, for example, but then you look back at what you've done and you look back at what the audience has said about it and the players as well. And you realize how much it was all worth it, especially as the event I just did called Intel Extreme Masters Cologne or I Am Cologne. It was the first land. So it was the first event we had with players on site for 503 days. And they had to do everything to make this safe, like multiple COVID tests, isolating when you got on site for three days mandatorily, even if you were vaccinated. So many different rules to put everyone in, make everyone safe, everyone in place. There were no positive COVID results for the entire week. And we had 24 teams. So that's 120 players plus a manager and a coach. So there were seven members per team um, and all the production staff as well. We couldn't leave the site. No one could leave the site. If you left the site, then you could not go back in again. There was a, a tremendous amount of logistics and effort. I can't even imagine how it was all. I just came along at the end, right? But so it was a slog. But I don't think anyone regrets being part of it. I and mean, anyone regrets putting all that, like their heart and soul into it because it was all worth it. Okay, I'm going to have to ask everyone listening to please pause, go back three minutes or four minutes and listen to what Frankie just said, because I absolutely will tell you this is the blueprint of happiness in life. So openly what you just said, Frankie, I don't know if you heard yourself, probably when the podcast comes out, you should listen to this again. You were alternating literally every two seconds between this was difficult, but that was amazing. This was difficult, but this was rewarding. This was very difficult, but then they moved me here, but I was looking forward to this. But then I anticipated that I may not get this. And when I got to meet some of them, it was incredible. There is always something beautiful about life. And I really, I think you have it instinctively in you, but for those of us who don't, please go back and listen to those five minutes again, honestly, because in reality, I could look at the moment I'm in right now. You may hear in the background that I'm near a church and the church sometimes for some reason between three and 3.30, they get really creative and they start to play ABBA and other music on the bells, which is really, really interesting. You can kill yourself if you're a podcast host or you can say, oh my God, this is so charming. And the choice of which is entirely up to you. I don't think it is really about life as much as it is about our attitude to life. I love, absolutely love what you said. I think this is truly, you know, when I mentioned, when I called it bubbliness, I don't know if that's the right English word, but this is what I was referring to, that you have that excitement about things, even if things are difficult. And that blows me away. I'm, I'm really, really impressed. Can I ask you something? That might be a little sensitive, but this is a topic that's really important to me. Do you have to pretend to be a little more masculine to fit in, or are you fully yourself in that environment? If the environment is a little more masculine than, than feminine, are you out there just completely being you as a woman, or do you have to pretend a little bit? 
Um, no, I'm I'm fully myself because I think when I'm interviewing players, I'm not interviewing them about. I don't see it as masculine or feminine the work that I do, but I think it's just more about my individual qualities. So I've been quite empathetic, but yeah, I I'd say I'm an empath, so I'm much more thinking about that individual and how I am talking to them if, if yeah if I'm doing an interviewing role which I normally am in Counter-Strike so I think it's just I have to be myself and I have to make whoever I'm with feel at ease so if I'm uncomfortable with myself then they're also going to be uncomfortable so I, I don't really think I change myself I think if I'm on camera and I've got 90 seconds to two minutes to get an interview with an element of insight to it from a player then I will be quite direct. I know I can talk, I can <laughs> I can talk for England, I can waffle on when I'm sort of given permission to. But when I am doing my job, it is literally to get as much information as possible in the shortest amount of time. So I'm much more direct, I think, than people expect me to be necessarily, people who know me. And not in an unkind way, it's just that my opinion doesn't matter when I'm on the sidelines, really. It's the player's opinion, it's the player's story. So you know, I will try and try and extract that from them. And so some players, it's, I might relax a bit more and I might be a bit more goofy and all that kind of stuff to just to make them feel like that's okay for them to be as well. And with some players who are maybe dodging questions and things like that, and my questions are always fair. I don't think I give anyone like the easiest ride in the world, but I'm also not harsh either and I'm not overly critical either. But if someone is dodging a question and things like that, then then I will question them about why and I will pull them up on things as well and I've been doing it for a couple of years at least and people respect me for that I think I think that's the most important thing is knowing that you have the respect of the people that you're working with and yes it is a very male-dominated environment but there is absolutely no point in me pretending to be someone I'm not because that doesn't get you anywhere and I I do often get asked like if I have a different persona on camera and things like that and I really don't (laughs) which probably (laughs) leads to me I I have a lot of fun on camera and so I (laughs) I know that I'm probably not serious seeming enough for people and sometimes that is literally I've had one production or tournament organizer where I know that they didn't think I was serious enough and I know it's because I'm a woman but I don't have to work with them because there are other people that want to work with me so so you know it's easy for me to say all of this now because I'm kind of just fresh from an event and I'm kind of stepping back and going, right, I'm not going to do any esports events for a little bit because I'm about to get married and I've got some other bits and pieces I need to fit into the schedule. So I've just said to my agent, I'm not working any events. And, thank you. I've just said I'm not working any more events in the next few weeks. I'll do some spot records and things like that. But I'm just going to, I spend so much time prepping before the event starts and then our days on these shows are so long. You just haven't got time for anything else and you just are exhausted. So I've decided to give myself a bit of space very good idea you have the confidence to say i will work again even if i say no (laughs) does he realize how much of a gem he's getting like (laughs) gamer who understands about engines and is like you know or herself and all of that just let him listen to the podcast so that he's aware all right i think most (laughs) of our audience will remind him so um, again i just have to repeat what you said there which i think is an enormous message for my fellow women at work I think you said it perfectly. I can only be myself because if I'm not, I'm not perfect at what I do. I think this is truly, truly the answer. And one of the things that we sometimes uh, struggle to understand is that our workplace, whatever it is, by the way, not only gaming, sadly, a lot of our workplaces are 
hyper-masculine in character, even if they're not hyper-masculine, the number of people now that we see more and more opportunities, still not fair, but more and more opportunities for women. I think the truth is we should be ourselves. But by the way, that applies to men as much as it applies to women, because not all men are hyper-masculine. I think the idea is every one of us should just show up and be themselves fully. And I think that makes a massive, massive, massive difference. So I, anyone who knows me reasonably well, Frankie, would have thought that we were going to take this entire interview talking about gaming because we should really. I have to say I am blown away by the person that you are. I think you're such an inspiration uh, to be so you and bring so much to what you do. And I honestly believe that if you decide to be a carpenter in a point in time, you'll still do it very, very, very well because it's not what it is that you do it. I think it's the way that you do it. And, and I really am very grateful that you shared so openly, you know, you may not realize, but I think people who will listen to this accurately and in detail, I think this truly is the secret to success is to love what you do, to see the positives in it, to show up fully exactly as you are, to have respect for others. I think that's a wonderful example. And I really am quite, uh, quite impressed. If you ever show up on the halo grounds, I will still kick your butt anyway. So just so that you know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on whether you're playing with a keyboard and a mouse or a controller, but I am going to play Halo Infinite when it comes out. I think it's coming out at the end of the year. So I'm very excited. Yes. I mean, what's wrong with them? Can we speed up <laughs> a little bit? I bought my Xbox X actually expecting that it was out. I didn't read the, the news properly. And yeah, anyway, I just had to play the entire campaign again on my Xbox X, which by the way, had problems in it. I don't know if you- Oh, really? Uh, Oh yeah, yeah. So sometimes when my dis my controller disconnects, I have to switch off the entire thing. I mean, it's not a big deal, you know. It just wastes a couple of minutes. But hey, it Microsoft is annoying when you want to get into the game. If I don't, I I sound like I'm a, a shill for Microsoft now, but um, Xbox Games Pass has got some brilliant shooters on it to keep you going until Halo Infinite comes out. So if you want any recommendations, <laughs> give me a shout. <laughs> I am actually willing to take recommendations. I have to admit, I've been literally training like an athlete. So I do 45 minutes a day. So I keep trying to beat my own scores, right? And it gets to the point where it really is not any more strategy or thinking or whatever. It really is just how in tune with your controller you become, right? And so I, I really am stopping. I'm really practicing like an athlete. I would practice the same levels over and over and over and over and over sometimes just for the skill of it. But yeah, recommendations, truly welcome. I will say one game that's coming to mind right now, Mo. I hope your listeners don't mind. There is an indie game. It's called Katana Zero. Now, if you don't mind blood, it is a retro style. So kind of pixelated i think it's like 16-bit kind of graphics but you can oh, tell it's so modern cool. in the way it plays but also lighting effects and in the game there's an amazing storyline but it's also has a speedrunner ethos you don't have to speedrun it but you basically have to clear levels of bosses there's a platform element to it and there's a strategical side you can pick things up and throw them for example you can roll there is a drug that your character is on, part of the storyline, don't want to spoil it, that means that you can slow-mo roll as well. Fits oh, I podcast. love that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a real, real challenge. So it's very, very satisfying when you complete a level. And I would wholeheartedly recommend it because of the elements of story, graphics, and the gameplay, and you can up the difficulty and things like that. So yeah, I, I totally recommend it. It's a controller-based game, even if you do play it on PC, and it's called Katana Zero. 
And it's from it. I'm pretty sure it's a British company that made it. And yeah, it's a, just a brilliant game. It's a debut from that studio. I can't wait for the sequel. I hope it comes out at some point because I am desperate to play the next one. It is being ordered as we speak. <laughs> brilliant. One last question. Is Mr. Lucky a gamer as well? Uh, so my fiance, he isn't so much of a gamer. He thinks, and we disagree on this. We don't disagree on much, but we disagree on this. He thinks it's a waste of time. He feels like once he's spent time playing a game, he can't get it back so he can get very into it. There's a game called Last of Us um, on PlayStation. I'm sure a lot of people oh, will be yeah. familiar with. Yeah. I had never played it until a few years ago. So I got it for my PlayStation 4. My friend lent it to me, very kind of him. And <laughs> I basically was playing it and he came around to my flat at the time, so this is before we ever lived together. And he was really interested in what I was playing and I needed to get to a safe point and then I was going to make his dinner, I was going to stop playing. So he started playing it and I was really upset because I think I hadn't saved it at that point and he'd gone through a storyline <laughs> point without oh, me. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I've missed some of this game because it's one of the greatest stories in video gaming of all time. And then when I went to try and play it again after he'd left, I realized he was so bad at the game, he'd only got through about five minutes in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so I hadn't actually missed that much of the game at all, so it's fine. But he can't, we played a couple of games. We played Watch Dogs Legion, which came out at the end of last year. We actually played that together, so we'd past the controller and do missions and things like that and it was great because you're driving around london so the end of one of our road one of our roads we don't live on t multiple roads we just have one um but the end of our road is in the game and then you kind of drive up it and it sort of diverts but so it ne you never get past our house but it's amazing just driving around london and like my friend's flat like the outside of my friend's flat was in it and, and things like that and i loved that about it it wasn't the greatest game i don't think it's an award-winning game but it was a great game to play and kind of chill out and relax and, and to also do it as a couple as well. So I think that's sometimes what I want from a game is it doesn't have to be multiplayer to still be social. But it definitely is good that you can beat him, isn't it? I mean, like... Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's well, better. I mean, um, he, he's beat me so in other cliche. games as well. It's so cliche <laughs> if the husband was a better player. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Do you want us to edit this no. out, by the way? I, mean, <laughs> I am fine with it. He's definitely better at me at some things. There was a, a game we played together, which was called No Way Out, where you play brothers escaping from prison. And I don't want to spoil any more of it, but there is one competitive element that comes in at the end. And he did win that, which is very upsetting for me. <laughs> I thought it was very insensitive on his part. For a while, I, I think you should play it again in the wedding and just show everyone, you know, yeah. who's going to win. It's a yeah, five-hour game, so why not? Why not? We'll, take, we'll do our vows. We'll exactly. literally do the vows in increments while we play this game. It's great. Yeah. Frankie, I think you're amazing. I truly and honestly have enjoyed this conversation tremendously. I think you're an example to follow about following your dreams. I think you... Uh, you are uh, so authentic and genuine in, in presenting yourself that probably a lot of people should be inspired to think about that. For all of you, I, uh, you know, listening, I really think that beyond the story of what Frankie has told us is a somehow a secret map in a game for how to go from trying to discover what your dreams are to actually living your dreams to the point that you would tell yourself, this is the job that I really, really want to do. And I think part of it is that genuine approach to taking everything with an excitement and a commitment and a respect for people that uh, 
that have definitely been inspiring me through through this conversation. Frankie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Marit. Likewise, it's been lovely to be told I'm a nice person. I've enjoyed it immensely. (laughs) (laughs) You you really are. Once again, for Frankie and for all of you, if you ever show up in Halo, the one that killed you is me. And at the same time, I will uh, say, if you've enjoyed this, and it gave you a view of something that you have maybe not been exposed to before, esports and the place of women in that very interesting industry. Share it with others, maybe rate the podcast five stars, and uh, do spend some time actually gaming, because life truly, in so many ways, is a game. And while I believe that gaming too many hours a day, or playing whatever the game that you play is, might be a waste of your time. A few hours of fun every day is definitely a very healthy thing to do because it doesn't really matter how much you have on your plate today. There's always a little bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.